Chapter sixty five of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsten Nelson. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter sixty five unweariedly concerting means of detection relative to the stranger which no failure of success could discourage mrs ireton and mrs maple sat whispering upon the same sofa in the drawing-room while selina and miss aramede were tittering at a window how do you do ladies cried miss bydell in close chat i see however i don't want to know what it's about i'm only come to speak a word about this poor thing here for fear you should think she has been all this time gossiping about her own affairs which i assure you mrs ireton I can bear witness for her in the case. The supercilious silence of Mrs. Ireton to this address would have authorized the immediate retreat of Juliet, but that Ireton maliciously placed himself against the door and impeded its being opened, while Lord Melbury and Harley were obliged to approach the sofa to pay their compliments to the lady of the mansion, who, giving them her whole attention, left Miss Bydell to finish her harangue to Mrs. Maple. "'Right! True!' cried Mr. Giles, eager to abet what he thought the good nature of Miss Bydell. "'What you say is just and fair, Mrs. Bydell, for this pretty young lady here wanted to go from these two gentlemen the minute we came up to her. Only Mrs. Bydell's arm being rather, I conceive, heavy, she could not so soon break away. But I did not catch one of her pretty dimples all the time. So pray, Mrs. Ireton, don't be angry with her, and the less because she's so sweet-tempered, that if you are she won't complain, for she never did of Mrs. Maple.' "'I hope this is curious enough,' cried Mrs. Maple. "'A body to come and live upon me for months together upon charity, "'and then not to complain of me? "'I think if this is not enough to cure people of charity, I wonder what is. "'For my part, I am heartily sick of it for the rest of my life.' "'Juliet, having again, but vainly, tried to pass by Ireton, "'retired to an unoccupied window. "'Harley, though engaged in discourse with Mrs. Ireton, reddened indignantly, and Lord Melbury nearly mashed the nails of his fingers between his teeth, while Mr. Giles, staring, demanded, "'Why, what can there be, ma'am, in charity to turn you so sick? A poor helpless young creature like that can't make you her toad-eater.' Alarmed at an address which she took upon as a prognostic to an exhortation, of which she dreaded from experience the plainness and severity, Mrs. Maple hastily changed her place." while Mrs. Ireton, startled also by the word toad-eater, unremittingly continued speaking to the two gentlemen, whose attention, nevertheless, she could not for a moment engage, though their looks and persons were her prisoners. "'I don't know why you ladies, who are so rich and gay,' continued Mr. Giles composedly, and to the great annoyance of Mrs. Ireton, taking possession of the seat which Mrs. Maple had abdicated, "'should not try to make yourself pleasant to those who are poor and sad.' you that have got everything you can wish for should take as much pains not to be distasteful as a poor young thing like that who has got nothing but what she works for should take pains not to be starved mrs ireton extremely incensed though affecting to be unconcerned haughtily summoned ellis ellis forced to obey went to the back of the sofa to avoid standing by the side of the two gentlemen and determined to make use of this opportunity for announcing her project of retreat pray ma'am "'Mrs. Ireton cried. "'Permit me to inquire,' her eye angrily, yet cautiously, glancing at Mr. Giles, "'to what extraordinary circumstance I am indebted for having the honour of receiving your visitors. "'Not that I am insensible to such a distinction. "'You won't imagine me such an hot and tot, I hope, as to be insensible to so honourable a distinction. 
"'Nevertheless, you'll pardon me, I trust, "'if I take the liberty to intimate that, for the future, "'when any of your friends are to be indulged in waiting upon you, "'you will have the goodness to receive them in your own apartments. "'You'll excuse the hint, I flatter myself.' "'I shall intrude no apologies upon your time, madam,' said Ellis calmly, "'for relinquishing a situation in which I have acquitted myself so little to your satisfaction. "'Tomorrow, therefore—' anticipating, and eager to convert a resignation which she regarded as a disgrace into a dismission which she considered as a triumph, Mrs. Ireton impatiently interrupted her, crying, "'To-morrow? And why are we to wait for to-morrow? What has to-day done? Permit me to ask that, and pray don't take it ill, pray don't let me offend you, only, what has poor to-day done that to-morrow must have such a preference?' Juliet, frightened at the idea of being reduced to pass a night alone at an inn, now hesitated, and Mrs. Ireton, smiling complacently around her, went on. "'Suffer me, I beg, to speak a little word for poor neglected to-day. Have we not long enough been slaves to to-morrow? Let the pleasures of dear expectation be superseded this once for those of actual enjoyment. Not but twill be very severe upon me to lose you. I don't dissemble that. So gay a companion!' I shall certainly expire in hypochondriac upon first missing your amusing sallies. I can never survive such a deprivation. No, it's all over with me. You pity me, I am sure, my good friends. She now looked around with an expression of ineffable satisfaction at her own wit, but it met no applause, save in the ever-ready giggles of Selina and the broad admiration of the round-eyed Miss Bidell. Juliet silently curtsied, with a gravity that implied to leave-taking, and approaching the door, desired that Ireton would let her pass. Ireton, laughing, declared that he should not suffer her to decamp, till she gave him a direction where he could find her the next day. Offended, she returned again to her window. "'Oh, now pray, Mrs. Ireton,' cried Miss Bidell, "'don't turn her away, poor thing. Don't turn her away, ma'am, for such a mere little fault. I dare say she'll do her best to please you if you'll only try her again.' Besides, if she's turned off in this manner, just as young Lord Melbury is here, he may try to make her his kept mistress again. At least naughty people will say so. "'Who will say so, ma'am?' cried Lord Melbury, starting up in a rage to which he was happy to find so laudable a vent. "'Who will dare say so? Name me a single human being.' "'Lord, my lord,' answered Miss Bidell, a little frightened. "'Nobody very likely. Only it's best to be upon one's guard against evil speakers, for young lords at your time of life ain't apt to be quite so good as they are when they are more stricken in years. That's all I mean, my lord, for I don't mean to affront your lordship, I'm sure.' Mrs. Ireton, again beckoning to Alice, said, "'Pray, Mrs. Thingamai, have you done me so much honour as to make out your bill?' And ostentatiously she produced her purse. "'What is the amount, ma'am, of my debt?' Juliet paused a moment and then answered, "'Tis an amount, madam, much too difficult and complicate for me just now to calculate.' Mr. Giles, alertly rising, cried, "'Let me help you, then, my pretty lady, to cast it up. What have you given her upon account, Mrs. Ireton?' "'I am not her bookkeeper, sir,' returned Mrs. Ireton, extremely nettled. "'I don't pretend to the honour of acting as her steward, but I trust she will be good enough to take what is her due. "'Tis very much beneath her, I own, extremely beneath her, I confess, and yet I hope this once she will let herself down so far.' and ten guineas, which she held in her hand, were augmented to twenty, which she paradingly flung upon the table. Mrs. Maple and Miss Bidell poured forth the warmest exclamations of admiration at this magnificence, but Juliet quietly saying, "'Let me hope, madam, that my successor may merit your generosity,' again curtsied and was going, when Mr. Giles, eagerly picking up the money and following her with it, spread open upon his hand, said, "'What do you go without your cash for, my pretty lady? Why don't you take your guineas?' 
"'Excuse, excuse me, sir,' cried Juliet, hastily, and trying to be gone. "'And why?' cried he, a little angrily. "'Are they not your own? "'What have you been singing for, and playing, and reading, and walking, "'and humouring the little naughty boy, and coddling the cross little dog? "'Take your guineas, I say. "'Would you be so proud as to leave the obligation all on the side of Mrs. Ireton?' A smile at this statement, in defiance of her distress, irresistibly stole its way upon the features of Juliet, while Mrs. Ireton, stung to the quick, though forcing a contemptuous laugh, exclaimed, "'This is really the height of the marvellous. It transcends all my poor ideas. I own that. I can't deny it. However, I must drop my acquaintance entirely with Miss Arb, if it is to subject me to intrusions of every sort, on pretense of visiting that Miss What's-her-name. I have had quite enough of all this. I really desire no more.' Harley, to hide his acute interest in the situation of Juliet, pretended to be examining a portrait that was hung over the chimney-piece, but Lord Melbury, less capable of self-restraint, applaudingly seized the hand of Mr. Giles, and grasping it warmly, cried, "'Where may I have the pleasure of waiting upon you, sir? I desire infinitely to cultivate your acquaintance.' "'And I shall like it, too, my good young nobleman,' said Mr. Giles, with a look of great satisfaction, and was beginning, at very full length, to give his direction, when Selina called out from the window as a carriage drove up to the door. "'Mrs. Ireton, it's Lord Denmeath's delivery.' Lord Melbury, abruptly breaking from Mr. Giles, hurried out of the room, which alone prevented the same action from Juliet, whose face suddenly exhibited horror rather than affright but she felt that to fly the uncle at a moment when she might seem to pursue the nephew might be big with suspicious mischief and though shaking with terror she placed herself as if she were examining a small landscape behind an immense screen which in summer as well in winter nearly surrounded the sofa of mrs ireton and hence she hoped when his lordship should be entered to steal unnoticed from the room this is a stroke that surpasses all the rest faintly cried mrs ireton that lord denmeath whom I have not seen these seven ages, should renew his acquaintance at an epoch of such strange disorder in my house. He will never believe this apartment to be mine. It will not be possible for him to believe it. He'll conclude me in some lodging. He'll imagine me the victim of some dreadful reverse of fortune. He is so little accustomed to see me in any motley group. He can so little figure me to himself as a person in a general herd. "'Well, I, for one, am here by mere accident, to be sure,' said Miss Bidell. "'But, however, I did not come in from mere curiosity, I assure you, Mrs. Ireton, "'for I knew nothing of Lord Denmeath's being to come. "'However, as I happen to be here, I shan't be sorry to see his lordship, "'if I shan't be in anybody's way, for I never happened to be where he was before. "'Only I can't think what Lord Melbury went off so quick for, "'unless it was to shoo his uncle away upstairs. "'And if it was for that, it was pretty enough of him.' "'No, no, you'll be in nobody's way, Mrs. Bidell.' said Mr. Giles. Don't be afraid of that. Here's abundance of room for us all. The apartment's a very good apartment for that. Mrs. Ireton now, impatiently ringing the bell, demanded of a servant what he had done with Lord Denmeath, adding, I should be glad, sir, to be informed, very glad, I must confess, for perhaps if you have been so good as to shoo a visitor of one of my people into the drawing-room, you may have thought proper to usher a visitor of mine into the kitchen?' His lordship, the servant answered, had been met by Lord Melbury upon alighting from the coach, and had stepped with him into the dining-parlour. Mrs. Maple exulted that she could now, at last, have an opportunity to clear herself of his lordship about the many odd appearances which had so long stood against her, while Ireton, who had espied the effort of Juliet to escape notice, called out, "'I don't know where the devil I have put my hat,' and suddenly pushing towards her, with a blusterous appearance of search, gave her a mischievous nod as she started back from his bold approach, and encircled her completely within the broad leaves of the screen. 
she suffered this malicious sport in preference to attempting any resistance though vexed at the noise which she must now unavoidably make in removing she was scarcely thus enclosed when lord denmeath was announced her heart now beat so violently with terror that her shaking hand could scarcely grasp a leaf of the screen as she tried to make an opening for letting herself out while his lordship was returning a reception of fawning courtesy by some embarrassed and ambiguous apologies relative to the motives of his visit and when at last she succeeded she was deterred from endeavouring to abscond by seeing harley with his hand upon the door making his bow mrs maple interfering would not permit him to depart clamorously declaring that he was the properest person to give an account to his lordship of this adventurer as he must best know why he had forced them to take such a body into their boat with deep agitation and blushing anxiety juliet now unavoidably heard harley answer i can but repeat to his lordship what i have a thousand times assured these ladies that i have not the smallest knowledge whence this young lady comes nor whom she may be i can only therefore reply to these inquiries from my mental perceptions these convince me through progressive observations that she is a person of honour well educated accustomed to good society highly principled and noble-minded you smile my lord but those only who judge without conversing with her or converse without drawing forth her sentiments can annex any disparaging doubt to the mystery of her situation her conduct has rather been exemplary than irreproachable from the moment that she has been cast upon our knowledge though she has suffered during that short interval distress of almost every description her language is always that of polished life her manners even when her occupations are nearly servile are invariably of distinguished elegance yet with all their softness all their gentleness she has a courage that upon the most trying occasions is superior to difficulty and a soul that even in the midst of injury and misfortune depends upon itself and is above complaint such my lord i think her not indeed from any certain documents but from a self-conviction founded i repeat upon progressive observations which have the weight with me now of mathematical demonstration tears resistless yet benign flowed down the cheeks of juliet in listening to this defence and while she endeavoured to disperse them before she ventured from her retreat lord denmeath began an inquiry whether this young person had regularly refused to say who she was or whether she had occasionally made any partial communication or given any hints relative to her family or connections juliet was now in an agony of mind indescribable she had hoped to glide away with the general party unobserved but harley had kept constantly at the door till he made his exit which now was so crowdingly followed by that of every one except mrs ireton and his lordship that the delay ended in making her individually more conspicuous yet to overhear unsuspectedly a conversation believed to be private even though she knew herself to be its subject was dishonour hastily therefore though shaking in every limb she forced herself from without the screen mrs ireton shrieked and sank back upon the sofa crying out oh my lord she's here concealed to listen to us what a shock i shall feel it these three years juliet fleetly crossed the drawing-room without daring to raise her head but lord denmeath passing quickly before her as if intending to open the door held the handle of the lock while steadily examining her as he spoke he said will you give me leave ma'am to see you for a few minutes to-morrow juliet made not nor even attempted to make any answer terror was painted in every line of her face and she trembled so violently that she was forced to catch by the back of a chair to save herself from falling i hope ma'am said lord denmeath you are not ill and approaching her with a look of compassion added in a whisper i know you but be not frightened i will not hurt you i will speak to you to-morrow alone and arrange something to your advantage 
Juliet seemed utterly overcome, and remained motionless. "'Compose yourself,' continued Lord Denmeath, speaking louder, and turning towards the wondering Mrs. Ireton. "'I will see you when and where you please to-morrow.' Mrs. Ireton, whose own curiosity knew not how to brook any delay, now recovered sufficient strength to rise, and begging that his lordship would not postpone his business, she passed into her boudoir, the door of which, however, Lord Denmeath failed not to remark, was shut without much vigour. Lowering, therefore, his tone, till even to Juliet it was scarcely audible, "'We cannot,' he said, "'converse here with any openness, but if you are not your own enemy, you may make me your friend, though I cannot but take ill your coming over against my advice and injunctions, and thus insidiously introducing yourself to my nephew and niece.' Juliet here looked up with an air of self-vindication, but Lord Denmeath steadily went on. I have for some time suspected who you were, though but vaguely, yet, attributing your voyage to the officious counsel of the bishop, I contented myself for the moment with putting a stop to your intercourse with my credulous young relations. But other information has reached me, and reached me at the very moment with Mrs. Howell, when indeed my nephew and niece themselves had acquainted me with the meeting at Arundel Castle. I will talk upon all these matters in detail to-morrow morning. I have only to demand in the interval that you will neither speak nor write to Lord Melbury." I have already obtained his promise to be quiet till our conference is over. But I know that there are ways and means to induce a young man to forget his engagements. I hope you will try none such. Where can we have our conversation? Nowhere, my lord. To the utter astonishment of Lord Denmeath, and even to her own, Juliet now, with sudden spirit, answered. But the courage which had been subdued by apprehension was revived during the preceding harangue by strong glowing indignation. "'What is it?' when amazement would give him leave to speak. "'What is it?' Lord Denmeath said. "'That you mean?' "'That I will not trouble your lordship to offer me directions that I may not be at liberty to follow. I have already, my lord, a guide, and one to whose judgment I shall submit implicitly. That bishop, whom your lordship is pleased to call officious, is my first, best, and nearly only friend, and if ever again I should be so blessed as to meet with him, his opinion shall be my law, as his benediction will be my happiness.' In great emotion, yet with unappalled dignity, she was departing. But Lord Denmeath, with an air of surprise, stopping her, said, "'You are then a papist?' "'No, my lord, I am firmly a Protestant. But as such I am a Christian, so, and most piously, yet not illiberally, is the bishop.' "'What is it, tell me, if you please, that this bishop purposes, to renew those old claims so long ago vainly canvassed? Can he imagine he will now have more influence than when possessed of his episcopal rank and fortune? Set him right in that point. You will do him a friendly turn, and permit me to do a similar one by yourself. I know the whole of your situation.' Juliet started. "'I have just had information which I meant to communicate to you, accompanied with offers of mediation and assistance, but you are sufficient to yourself.' or your champion, the bishop, makes all other aids superfluous. Suffer me, nevertheless, to intimate to you that you will do well to return, quietly and expeditiously, to the spot whence you came. You may else make the voyage less pleasantly. The colour which resentment and exertion had just raised in the cheeks of Juliet now faded away and left them nearly as white as snow. Lord Denmeath, softening his voice and manner, and changing the haughty air of his countenance into something that approached to kindness, went on more gently. I did not mean to alarm, but to befriend you. I allow not only for your youth and inexperience, but for the false ideas with which you have been brought up. If it had not pleased the bishop to interfere, all would have been amicably arranged from the first. Take, however, a little time for reflection. Think upon the enormous risk which you run, a fine young woman like you, and you are indeed a very fine young woman, flying from her house and home. 
Juliet, shaking, shuddering, hid her face and burst into tears. "'I see that it is not impossible to work upon you,' he continued. "'I will beg Mrs. Ireton, therefore, to let us converse to-morrow, where we may canvass the matter at leisure. The road is still open for you to affluence and credit. It will make me very happy to be your conductor. You will find I am authorized so to be. Make yourself, therefore, as easy as you can, and depend upon my best offices. We will certainly meet to-morrow morning.' He then bowed to her and moved towards the boudoir, which Mrs. Ireton, appearing accidentally to open the door that had never been shut, quitted to receive him, while Juliet, in speechless disorder, retired. End of chapter 65 Recording by Kirsten Nelson